Nice. Yeah. Some good. It's kind of like. Were you beatboxing? Ooh. You were beatboxing a little <laughs> just now. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get rid of beatboxing. <laughs> I'm gonna get rid of Steven's beatboxing. Oh, I wanted. I loved it. it. It was. I got rid of it before it began. Um, unfortunately. Well, what do you? Hi, hi, Steven. What do you want to get rid of this week? Um. Okay. You know what? Um. This week, I want to get rid of wobbly tables because <laughs> yeah no so i um i go to this great stupid ass coffee shop that you know loves slash adopts monkeys apparently fucking whatever there's monkeys in the coffee there's shop? no monkeys it's not like a cat cafe but you're playing with monkeys that would be it's just like they adopt. Cool. that would be dangerous you can't do that like everyone was just like uh, the fact that you know Michael Jackson even lived to abuse all those kids. Um, Let's get back is on a track. marvel because he didn't get killed by his his chimpanzee. Um, but wow. no, like I, I I go to sit down. I put the table cup on the table and like I lay out my computer and I lay out papers because I'm I'm you know for something that I was working on and I go to sit down hit the table. It wobbles like crazy, sends coffee everywhere. Oh. I'm like rescuing my computer as best as I can. And then I had this whole debacle because I go up to the guy and I'm like, hey, table wobbled. A third of my coffee has spilled out. Can I just get a top up? And then he was like, what? And I was like, can I just get a top up really quickly? And he was like, you need a towel? I'm like, no, I've already cleaned it up. Can I just get a top up of the coffee? It spilled out. I'm sorry, what do you need? Refill. He didn't understand top what up. I was saying by saying top up. Well, I would my, say top it off. I don't care. So. I have already gone through <laughs> this with so many people. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the words coming out of my mouth were utterly unintelligible. <laughs> um but it's the tables. But fault. it's the tables because honestly, that's where it all goes back to. Yeah. And the argument cannot be made that oh, actually, wobbly tables are good. No, nobody so, would make that. Yeah, argument. there's. It, I hate wobbly tables. Yeah, you're never. I've never been like, you know, I've never leaned on a table and then had everything shift around and been like, oh, thank God, I better not, you know, make a mistake later and then try to blame the table. I don't know exactly where I'm going. All I know is that the. The tables are bad. Wobbly tables are bad. Get no them out. One's, this table that we are sitting at right sturdy. now. Sturdy. Sturdy as hell. Sturdy as hell. I had to test it. It's sturdy. Yeah. Twists a little bit, but it does That's not okay. rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, cool. I'm I'm with you. Let's get rid of those. Done. What do you want to get Done. rid of? Done. Um, um, I want to get rid of earwax. Um, uh, wet or dry? All of it. What? All right. Yeah, there's two kinds of earwax. Ew. <laughs> this is why I want to get have, rid of earwax. Wet earwax? That's disgusting. Um, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Well, I don't know. Do I have wet or dry ear? You mean like some people have wet earwax, some people have dry earwax? That's right. What do you have? I just. I think it's wet. wet. I, I I pretty wet. Okay, I take earwax. it back. I don't want to know. <laughs> like I, you, know, you yeah, I do an ear candle. It's just pea soup in there. <laughs> so I well I was um on my way here and I was putting my headphones on and before I and I have little you know little earbuds. Oh. And before I put I them on, I had never looked at them oh, before. No. And they were had like gross dried earwax in them and i was like oh it made me want to vomit yeah but also it's yeah it's like what do you my dad always said because i guess one time he like punctured his eardrum a little oh yeah no he's like nothing smaller than an elbow goes in your ear and 
but I'm like, what do you do with it? Like you, I, I do, I have to admit, I use Q-tips every so often because otherwise it's, it's what do you crazy. do? You know, you can so I don't, uh, it freaks me out. And Honestly, I've never done it. I okay. really want to do it. No, but listen, listen, my, <laughs> what do you do, Steven, listen, wet, my fam, I just, honestly, I just like put my thumb, I create a vacuum and I just like, and it just sucks it right out and it just spits out on what? the mirror like a pimple. Just oh kidding. Oh my God. This is the grossest beginning to anything. JK. Uh, but, uh, no, like one time my, my family got, you know, two pairs my parents did it and you know you two pairs of of candles, of candles. Yeah, oh. yeah because one for each year oh. um and then they did it and i was like oh man that's so crazy i want to do it and they were like no that's it like they're just like no and i was like uh, but and i was a minor so they made those decisions mm, yeah um so yeah cool. I've, I've actually never, never done, done it, it but oft lived in envy every time i see them i'm like it freaks me out but um do you want me to yeah do you want me to do you want me to candle, candle me right now <laughs> not right now not right now we, we can have wait a show until afterwards yeah not right now yeah <laughs> um i would rather just get rid of earwax but all right yep all right. wet wet earwax <laughs> yo let's get let's on get with it. it yo all right so <laughs> this is should we keep this the cultural view podcast that well do you know you know it oh my god you love it <laughs> You know it and you love it. And uh, we go over the past 50 years of film, music, TV, and we challenge your nostalgia to get at the question, should we, um, should, should we, we, um, should um, we, should keep this? Keep, should we just should keep we, it? Should we keep it or not? Should we keep it? Should we keep it? Yes. I'm Stephen no. Moskis. I'm Gina Stevenson. And today we're talking about The Godfather Part 2 and Blazing... Saddles, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. 1974. What a good, what a year. What, what a, a year. year. What a life. Yeah. Um. So this year, what I don't <laughs> know. Okay. I know. <laughs> Everything is captured. Um. 1974. I'm calling. I don't know why I said like that. Um. It just um, ended with a four. I'm questioning yeah, myself too now. 1974. So this is the year of, um, the year of corrupt politicians, which is a a link what else it's good it's link it's just it's just not as like i know it's not as well encapsulated it's I'm not as like i'm sorry well coined as yeah. like your your My the standard you've set for you yourself. know what it's been it's been a week and it, it was a little rushed to come up with my Don't, year tagline wow I, I care. I'm just saying. Uh, you come up with one. No, actually, I don't want... I like my thing. No, you so like I'm it. It's your thing, thing, and I don't want you Anyways, to do your thing. Anyways, so let's start with Blazing Saddles, just because um, that's the first one that I started writing about. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about this film, Filma. So this was the top-grossing Filma um, of 1974, and it's a satirical Western. I had never seen it before. Um, you hadn't? I had not, No. Um, that doesn't matter for this section, though. No, it doesn't. Synopsis. Okay. It's set in 1874 in the American frontier, the Wild West. Um, it opens with this group of railroad workers um, who are primarily African-American and Chinese-American, and they're working on the railroad. And then we meet this, uh, I don't actually know what to call him, a, like Taggart, like a... Because he's he's kind of not, not a cop. He's just sort of like a muscle yeah. guy. Like a, no, like I don't over- know. Yeah, I don't even know. But he's the he's like you know the guy who's in charge of this operation or like their supervisor or something. Yeah, he's he's I I don't know what the word is for like railroad men. Yeah, exactly. We don't really have them. But he's like a boss anymore. on a horse. Yeah, he's a boss on a horse. Um, and he basically forces these two workers, um, Bart 
and Charlie to, they're supposed to like check out this part of the rail and they fall into quicksand. Um, and, and Taggart has no, he's like, Oh, thank God we didn't lose the rail trolley, but he doesn't care about the fact that they're falling into the quicksand. So Bart pulls them out and he can't help it. He like hits Taggart over the head cause he's really mad at this asshole. Um, and then we, we meet the, this attorney general, um, named Hedley Lamar, mm-hmm. um, who is this corrupt politician, and he wants to push the railroad through this nearby town of Rock Ridge so as to avoid the quicksand that we just learned about. Um, but to do this, he plans to force the residents to abandon the town, basically by raping and pillaging the town, is like pretty much exactly what he says. Um, and and so then, the, but the townspeople, like once uh, they demand that the gov, okay, I'm jumping around, whatever. The townspeople of the of the town, uh, once that sort of like pillaging starts, demand that the governor sends a new sheriff to protect their town because they're like, why is nobody helping us? Uh, and so Lamar, our corrupt attorney general, persuades the governor, who's this like super inept guy, um, to send Bart from earlier, who was about to be executed. Um, because as he reasons, the townspeople will be very offended by the idea of a black sheriff and the town will descend into chaos and his plan will work and he'll be able to take over the town very easily. Um, so Bart arrives in Rock Ridge and he was going to be executed for hitting Taggart with the shovel. With the shovel. Um, so he arrives in Rock Ridge. Uh, there's hostility from the townspeople who are all white. Um, and he befriend, he ends up befriending this alcoholic gunslinger, the Waco kid mm-hmm. played by Gene Wilder. We'll flash back to, uh, little Butch little Cassidy, Butch Sundance. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so they sort of become friends and together they figure out the, the railroad like connection, uh, learning about the, the plan to make the railroad go through the town. And so once Lamar realized that they found the plan out, he plan out, he like hatches this big plan to recruit this army of criminals to ransack the town. Um, which is like this very anachronistic, like ragtag team of people he's assembled, including like Nazis and biker gangs and like mm. KKK people. Um, and so they're like about to attack the town. Uh, and Bart ends up enlisting the help of his railroad worker friends to construct a fake town to fool the villains into attacking that instead. And the townspeople agree to work together uh, with the railroad workers. Um, and the bad guys like totally fall for the trap. And basically the Rock Ridge townsfolk like detonate some bombs in the fake town and they storm it. And it ends up be- it like snowballs into this crazy brawl that turns very meta and like breaks the fourth wall. And we sort of like pan out and see that like we're actually in L.A. and like the studios. And so the fight like spills onto this neighboring set and then into the commissary for like all the Hollywood like film, you know, crews and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then out of the film lot and into the streets and like and the whole time Lamar is like trying to evade Bart and Jim who's the Waco kid is right. Jim. Um, and finally, and he like tries to hide out in the theater where blazing saddles, the film is like premiering. Uh, and finally Bart and Jim catch up to him and they shoot him, uh, outside of the, the theater. And then they go inside and they're like, let's watch the end of this film. Uh, and so then in the end of the film, Bart and Jim in the movie, basically sort of like right off into the sunset right. together. And that's the movie. Although, yeah. And there is that weird way they ride off into the sunset. I mean, like they get off the horses and then they like get into a car. That's yeah, there's exactly plenty what of. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like there's lots and lots of right. fun anachronistic things that happen mm-hmm. uh, in the movie, and yeah. Yep, and then off into the sun. Uh, so you said you had never seen this before. Had you? Did you know anything about it? 
I mean, I knew it was a Mel Brooks movie mm-hmm. and I had heard it referenced, I feel like, or just knew people who had seen it, but, uh, and I knew it was a, like about cowboys, I guess. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like one of those movies like, um, I don't, I don't care what anyone has to say, uh, like Monty Python on the Holy Grail where like every time you mention it, someone's like, you haven't seen that? Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's <laughs> funny. Oh God, you haven't seen that? Oh, yeah. gotta see that. Yeah. And then... Yeah, and like, and I then didn't. You, but like you don't have a case, then you just don't see it. Um, <laughs> so this one, yeah, this had a budget two point six million. Box office was one hundred and nineteen point six million. Um, huge profit, yeah. Especially since the studio hated the movie, um, hated the movie, and they were actually going to throw it out and just take the loss and then wow it's just like hilarious that it like ended up being the highest grossing film of the year um so now that so let's see how i'm wanting to talk about this so uh the film had like two versions basically um it's going to be difficult not to be um Partial, sure. shall we say. Yeah. Um, now, the first draft of this film had a different name, um, and it was called Tex X. Catchy. Yeah. Tex, like, you know, Texas this. X, um, like Malcolm X. Oh, X. Just the letter yeah, X. Yeah, like Tex oh, wow. X. Yeah. Um, and... Which sounds awfully like a thing. No, we're being we're as impartial as possible. Um, but Alan Arkin was going to direct it, and James Earl Jones was going to play the sheriff. So that production falls through. Mel Brooks likes the idea of 1974 hip talk set in 1874, so he bought the idea. Um, and now he like set up a team and. Um, on that team was Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. So, as a writer, as yeah. a writer, mm-hmm. um, which to me, it does change, or it does affect my interpretation of the movie. Like it's helpful to know that he was a part of the writing team. Um, there is a lot of usage of the N word. That the studio was coming hard down on, the studio was coming down hard on Mel Brooks over, but uh, Cleavon Little, who played Bart and Richard Pryor, both apparently allegedly gave him consistent support for mm-hmm. the way it was done in the film. Um, now, um, Little. Uh, who again played Bart? He won a Tony about four years earlier, um, but this was pretty much a career high for him. Like nothing else really took off. Um, Wilder was already collaborating with Mel Brooks. Career's already going. Um, the writer Andrew Bergman, who wrote Tex X and then took it on, followed it the rest of the way. It's her his first major writing credit. Nothing really ever took off after that. Um, Now, oddly, there aren't too many, like, 
I was struggling to find did, did a, a quote that like really stuck out as like, oh, I've heard and seen that. Um, except for except for the one where they're trying to distract the clan members. Um, so there's the long train of uh, of just general anachronistic bad guys, and the last in the line are uh, two clan members, and they want to like take their costume so they can infiltrate the group. Uh, and so Gene Wilder shows Bart, and then he goes, "Where the?" He goes like, "Where are the white women at?" And then they take off running. That mm-hmm. has been like featured in White Chicks, and then that's also just I feel like. The only the only individual line that I think really I recognized. Did you did you have anything that you were like, oh, yep, that was. Yeah, I don't think I recognize any lines. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's like that's pretty much it. That's where I am on the the culture of Blazing Saddles. Um, now, a note about Richard Pryor, though. He did leave the writing team after the first draft. Hmm. So I'm kind of like, mm, mm. Mm-hmm. like maybe mm. I'm like, Oh, I had this reinterpretation of the film. And then it was like, Oh, well it, it was, should I have reinterpreted yeah, right. based on his involvement? Yeah. And I was trying to find stuff about that too. And I, I didn't find, I found some things that were saying like what he actually was able to write was like just, Mongo's lines. Mongo, who's like this, like this, like brute. Are you telling? The, yeah, yeah. Get out. <laughs> that's what I something Leave. I found. Which, yeah, I mean, if that's the case, but like, not that uh, he was like shut out from writing anything else, but that's like, that's like so, quote all he wanted to write as far as like lines. Well, but that, that makes he me was, hate Richard no, Pryor. <laughs> God that, damn it! But that he was like, you know, asked things and referenced and stuff. I don't know. Um, also, though, I don't know if you said this, that he originally they were trying to get Richard Pryor to play the um, sheriff and to get John Wayne to play the Waco right, kid, right. which is yeah. just but he, but funny. Also, I, was kinda, I thought it was funny because John Wayne didn't want to do it because it would conflict with his like image. Right. That it was uh, like too, too like ridiculous. racy, basically. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm like when I think about his sort of film legacy, I'm like your film to me, your film legacy, like is a a horrific affront. And like, it's a shame that those films should be considered family films. Like (laughs) that. I, Mm. I don't care what anybody has to say to me. I think I I think they should all go. (laughs) Great. Well, good to know. Yeah. Um, should we move to The Godfather just to Let's give an overview and then we'll chat more Shut about up. our opinions. So the so this is okay, The Godfather Part 2. Again, we're not No, I'm just saying unbiased. it was three and a half hours long. So God damn plot, it. It's so and long. And it is the m- most complicated plot. So I'm going to just be as simple as possible. Basically, this film, um, there's two simultaneous plots. One is sort of the origins of Vito Corleone, the original Godfather. Um, and his like arrival to New York as an immigrant and like living, you know, as an Italian American in New York city and his community and like becoming his journey to become a mafia boss basically. And then also the other story is the present day journey of his son, Michael, who is the current head of the family. So those two plots are kind of happening. And basically, um, I'm just going to talk about the, the Michael plot because that's the one that's the most complicated and Vito's plot is essentially just that it's like how he came to become the godfather as we met him in part one. 
Um, so this film, so it begins um, very sort of, there's a lot of homages in this to part one. It was like a lot of similar scenes and images and stuff that, mm. um, so that it begins with all these Michael having these meetings during his son's first communion, which is like this big party. And it's very reminiscent of like the beginning of the Godfather part one, where it's his daughter's wedding and you know, there's the Godfather having the meetings and stuff. Um, so Michael now lives in near by Lake Tahoe. Um, and he's having a couple of meetings. One of them is with with this guy, Frank Pentangeli, 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 who is disappointed that, Michael is refusing to help defend his Brooklyn territory against this rival group, the Rosado family. Um, and the reason Michael is refusing to help is because they, the Rosado family, work for Michael's business partner, who's this guy, Hyman Roth. Um, and then later that night, after the party, there's this assassination attempt against Michael. Um, and so the next day, he leaves for Miami to meet with Roth. Um, and he basically, like, he's he suspects, he's trying to figure out who he suspects for the mur- the assassination attempt. And so right. he's like, we, maybe he suspects Roth for it. Maybe he suspects Pentangeli. Um, so he goes to Miami and he has this meeting with this guy Roth, and they're talking about some big business deal that they're that's coming that they're working to get on together. And then in New York, Pentangeli has gone back to New York as he was sort of instructed to by Michael to try to make peace with the Rosado family, but they also attempt to assassinate him. Um, yes. And 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 the like police come. Well, no, but they when they go to kill him, they yeah. say like Michael Corleone says hello. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. So that like yeah. So it's like so he thinks Michael like ordered double crossed him, him kind of yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, Roth. So Michael travels with his business partner, Roth, to Havana, Cuba, to uh, discuss some business prospect, which I oh was like some kind of importing thing. I honestly. Uh, what was it's the like hotels investments in, okay, in okay. Cuba. Great. Thank you. Um, under the. Because he runs like hotels in Vegas. So it's like expanding mm-hmm. into, into Cuba. Cuban You're right. That yep. did happen. OK. I remember that now. Um, because the government there is is supportive of their mm-hmm. business prospects. Um, uh, but when he gets there, Michael sees that like that the, the revolution is ongoing and there seems to be some instability of the government and everything. So he seems a little bit skeptical of whether or not he might, he's going to actually follow through with this business arrangement. Um, and then on new year's Eve, Michael basically tries to have Roth murdered because he, thinks it was him who attempted his assassination. Is that what I honestly, this is going to be, I don't it's know convoluted. what was happening. It, no, it's movie. convoluted. So like, yeah. uh, he knows that Roth is trying to screw him. Like he knows that the, the like instability is a bigger deal than Roth is saying it is. He knows that like mm-hmm. Roth is looking out for himself and Oh yeah. 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 There was because the hit on Pantangeli, mm-hmm. um, because that happened, he and he went to him. He was like, I know I didn't give the order because right. he like planted both seeds in each one. And that way he could see whoever sort of moved, he would know is the one kind of double crossing him. So he knew that Roth had double crossed him. Mm-hmm. So he was going to kill him there. And he also knew that Roth was going to have him killed. Cause remember he's talking to Fredo. He's like, I'm going to get into a military car brought, uh, for my protection. Mm-hmm. And on my way assassinated. back, I'm going to be assassinated, which I felt like was okay. also a, um, like a reference to the Godfather part one. Do you remember that? 
He's like, Which you're going to go to meet Clemenza. They're going to like pick a place on, you know, this guy's territory. We're going to go to, you're going to go. So they, they, you'll think that you'll be protected. Mm -hmm. And then on your way there, you're going to be assassinated. Mm -hmm. uh, Marlon Brando's telling him about that. Mm -hmm. And they're like sitting at a table in the garden. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was lots of callbacks five and a half hours one. ago. It was a lot. Um, it's true. Yeah. No. Um, cool. Okay. Yeah. So, but Roth ends up surviving basically that night. Um, because the guy who Michael was having performed the hit gets interrupted basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, as you said, so Michael also learns that his brother Fredo was involved in helping to set him up. Although Fredo says, you know, says he didn't realize it was supposed to be a hit. Like he didn't know it was going to go that far. Yeah. Um, because Fredo is very kind of feels emasculated. I feel like because his younger brother is the one in charge. And like, that was sort of the reason for his, for any sense of like anger towards his brother. And, you know, it was just the fact that his younger brothers is more powerful than he is. Mm -hmm. Um, so Michael disowns Fredo cause family, no forgiveness. Um, and then when, and back in New York, Michael also learns that his wife Kay had a miscarriage, um, and a big deal. Cause he really, he was, he keeps on being like, was it a son? Is it a son? Like he really wants another son. Um, kept having to remind myself that like it was the fifties Yeah, because he would be like, does it feel like a boy? I'm like, are right. you? Can't you tell? Fucking, right. You can't. What the hell? Oh. Right, it's hanging heavy. It's to the left. It's right, like we yeah, were standing yeah. up. So, right, <laughs> right exactly. Yes, you're right. It was in the late '50s is when this was set. Um, and then, and then after the intermission, which this has an intermission about two hours into the movie, um, in DC there is the Senate committee that is investigating organized crime, and they are investigating the Corleone family. So that's another little subplot that kind of appears hour two into the movie. Um, also, I'm just no going to say things that happen because yeah. the plot's too complicated. So Kay, reveal, Kay basically is like, I want to leave, Michael. Like, this has too, gone too far. Like, you are crazy. I'm going to take the kids and I'm leaving. And she and he's like, you can't, you can't, go, don't go. And she reveals that her miscarriage was actually an abortion because she doesn't want to have another one of his kids. Um, and he hits her. And she, I guess he gets to keep the kids and she just like leaves. That's what I implied because the scene just sort of ends and yeah. Uh, and then basically eventually in the end of the movie, there's sort of another triple murder, like the, the way that part one ended right. as well. Um, where both, so Roth, um, who like finally has been trying to like get asylum essentially all over the world. He like finally comes back to the U S and Michael arranges for someone to meet him at the airport and shoot him. Um, Pentangeli who's been put under protective custody, uh, basically, um, what's his name? Oh my God. The lawyer. Oh, Tom, Tom, Tom Hagen. I was like, Hogan, it's not yeah. Hogan. Nope. Um, Hagen meets with Pentangeli and basically like through, you know, just sort of like what seems like casual conversation convinces him that he has to commit suicide. So right. Pentangeli kills himself or they'll kill his family. Basically. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, and then also Fredo cause Michael seem pretends seems to have forgiven Fredo, uh, at the death, the funeral of their mother, and then in the end, has Fredo shot in the back of the head, mm. and Michael just sitting on alone on a bench at the end of part two, and that is most a tiny bit of yeah. that movie. <laughs> I mean, it, so much happens that I've already forgotten whether or not you gave the whole plot of Robert De Niro's part. I, well, no, I basically just, all I said was yeah. like, yeah, it's his journey, his journey, to like become his 
Rise the, to Power. The boss, right. and, yeah, yeah, played by Robert De Niro. A very young, attractive Robert De Niro. Very young, plays skinny Robert De Niro. That's what skinny. I noticed. I was like, damn, dude, you are thin. Very thin. Damn. Yeah. And he plays the young Marlon Brando, like the Marlon Brando character, right. Vito. Um, so, yeah, like this Ooh. movie. Yeah, yeah. Take a break. Yeah, take a wow, breather. Uh, pat those pits, you know, like uh, get I an anti purse print. No, it's cool. Um, you don't have to <laughs> lie to them. Um, but yeah, so $13 million budget. Um, this movie made uh, $57 million, which is like a massive <laughs> drop. Oh, yeah. man. More than half. Because like it's it's like overall international, uh, the international gross for um, The Godfather was like $250 million. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, no. I meant like compared to Blazing Saddles. It like made half oh, of what yeah. Blazing Saddles made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it won Best Picture, Best Director. Um, De Niro won uh, Best Supporting Actor. And then uh, Art Direction and Dramatic Score. Oh. Um, it, it's AFI's 32nd best film of all time. Now, mm-hmm. this is two years before Taxi Driver. It is Robert De Niro's second movie, yo. Wow. Yeah. But cool. I, that just is is wow is nuts. Um, but then, so it's one, and it's also it's one of I, this is something that I nerded out over. I don't know if if you did you nerd out over Hyman Roth? No. No. What's the deal with him? Oh man, <laughs> dude, that's Lee Strasberg. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm like it's like one of the only movies that he did. Wow. Um, so that is like. Just, just cool. crazy to me, um, and also so cool to see. I'm like, dude, you are freaking Lee Strasberg. And also, he like that must have been fun for Al Pacino because he's like he was like his mentor. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So then, uh, in terms of references, like the big one is the the Fredo kiss where he like grabs him, kisses <laughs> him on the mouth, and he's like, I know it was you, Fredo. You yeah, broke my heart. Quite a moment. Yeah, like woof. Yeah. Um which which I'm curious. How surprised were you when that happened? When he When he told Fredo that he knew it was him. Uh I was not surprised. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like there I were remembered so many being surprised. Yeah. I felt I like think? it wasn't well at first I was like, oh, but now I feel like it actually wasn't yeah. well masked that Fredo was behind yeah. it. Fredo like really awkwardly is like, Oh, oh I don't, uh, I don't know you. Uh, the person who well, it turns out that he like conspired with right. He's like, Oh no, we've never met. And then you like see, and then uh, they go to this Al Pacino, like clock it uh-huh. before. So yeah. And then they and go to a, and then they go to a sex club and he's like, Oh yeah. Chani Ola, he took me here. He's one of the greatest, but, and then he's like, the, the, yeah. I did think it was, really awesome with the moment where like they're in that club and Al Pacino was just like he when he like knew for sure it was Fredo because mm. you know he had to like walk away for a minute yeah that was dope um <laughs> so then the there's like a shot of young Vito seeing the Statue of Liberty that is referenced in American Tale I just wanted to put that in there <gasps> Fievel Goes yeah. West uh huh I love um, that movie does that movie ever is it top grossing ever no Anyways. I don't think so sorry I wish um, so the street scenes in the beginning of Malcolm X by Spike Lee, they were 
the way they were shot was uh, inspired by the way that the Robert De Niro portion was shot. That's one thing. Um, also, something that I could not believe was from this movie. Mm-hmm. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah. I could not believe... Is that where it originated? I cannot find any previous reference and everything that I look up is telling me I am happy to Google it again, but I am literally telling you, like, keep your friends close, enemies closer. Googled. What Michael Corleone said, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Like, that... Who's... Yeah. Um, It is from... No. Maybe it's from the Bible? Is uh, what I'm getting? The Bible and God <laughs> said keep your friends up. close well, and your enemies closer? Okay, hold on. I don't know the Bible very well at all. I've never actually read it. Okay. Um, oh, maybe it's just... Sun Tzu. Okay, so I'm what no. I'm seeing or is... Or Michael Corleone. It's been attributed <laughs> to Sun Tzu and Machiavelli or Petrarch, but there are no published sources yet found to predate its use by Michael Corleone. How freaking crazy is that? That is like, crazy. Like, that is... That's just so... It's a common... It's just a... Yeah. It's like, just, yeah, how did, like, a military general not say that first? Well, that's why I'm questioning this. Anyways, we... Right, yeah. Well, yeah. Um... A famous proverb. Right? Jeez. Um, so something interesting is this movie was uh, subject to critical reevaluation. Basically, it was initially shit on by critics. Um, and that, like, the flashbacks broke up the narrative of the present day too much and didn't allow it to um, mm-hmm. have good pacing. And... It breaks the tension. They're a weakness from which the film never recovers. And then, retrospectively, Roger Ebert was like, mm, "I'll scrap that. Give it, give it four stars." And then, you know, he praises it as grippingly written and directed with confidence and artistry. Um, and okay. yeah, um, it was also something I had never heard of, but they used it to create something called the Godfather saga, which was basically both films restructured for television so that it went in chronological order. Oh, wow. Um, huh. That seemed kind of interesting. So they to would, me. they totally rearrange it. So it's like, we see all the young Vito stuff. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then it would even be, I guess, technically the final scene flat, not the final scene, but the, um, the like dinner scene. That's like just before the final scene. Um, which fun fact about that is I had already read that like Marlon Brando was not going to be a, a part of the movie. So when I got to that scene, I was like, Oh, is he not gonna, is he gonna enter? Right. But Cause no, the movie, not. one of the final scenes is a scene, like a flashback from the brother, like the family younger. So mm-hmm. it's like a younger Michael, a young Santino, like Sonny and Fredo and Connie. And it's like right before Michael, like it's the day Michael's like, I'm going to go off to war and fight in right. World War II. He's so enlisted. It's, yeah. 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 Uh, and, and that, and this, we'll, we'll get into that scene. Okay. Um, now something that is also kind of wild to me and it's basically the last point that i have is that this is the first film to have like titular recognition to the fact that it's a sequel it's the first Ah. film to have like part two number two like that kind of title structure oh wow yeah cool right look what Um, it's given us we wouldn't have shitty sequels right we we wouldn't have have, (laughs) yeah right 
Jesus Christ. Sorry, <laughs> MCU. Fuck off. Um, and maybe that's too Who? polarizing. What did you say? The yeah. Marvel Cinematic oh, Universe. Oh, oh. Jesus. Like I hate. I see. I have no opinion. Sorry. Not what we're doing. Well, we'll get there in the, we, in the late was that, You said that was the last thing. That was the last thing I had to say. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, are you ready? Are you ready to do the, the thing? The thing? You ready to do the damn thing? Uh, yes. Yeah. How you want to... Okay. 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 Ready? Ready. Ready. Two. <laughs> five. <laughs> no, no, none. Get rid of them all. Like, no, they, no, no, no. Ex- I like no, that absolutely not. Beatboxing. You like that? Yeah, the deep. Yeah. Anyway. Can you do it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that's a no. It's. <laughs> It's fun. Okay, um, but so we say yeah. we don't want to keep them. No, yeah. neither. They both have to go. What yeah. do you want to start with? Let's let's start with. Ugh, it's so hard. Let's start with the Godfather because okay. we're already just talking about it. My, I'm just. It made me think a lot though about. It made me think a lot about the question of like, yeah, the fact that you said it is this the first recognizable sequel, of just. Uh, if like, why does this movie need to exist? And also like, what is the expectation of a sequel? And like, did it mostly win awards because it was the sequel to such a like acclaimed brilliant masterpiece, you know? Yeah. Because I did find it just like so convoluted and boring and like the intrigue, most of the intrigue was just like not intriguing. Right. Um, and it had even less, there's just so many things like I, I was really interested in like the, um, the young Vito, like the way that was shot was like really beautiful and really interesting. But it, like the, the storytelling was very confusing mm-hmm. and it made me think a lot also about like adapting a book, you know? And I was like, Oh, I bet that I bet a lot of the things that we're seeing in this film are like really interesting in the book or like that they go into like these characters, uh, much more. Right. But I just, most of the time just kind of felt like I was missing something. Um, like there was something that I wasn't explained that I just like had to understand right away. Yeah. I found that particularly true of the congressional hearing, the Senate hearing. Cause like it came out of nowhere. I could not believe that we didn't have anything to preempt right. the possibility of that, that he was worried about that in, in any way. Just like yeah. we come back from a flashback and we're in a Senate hearing. Right. Exactly. And like, that's so, and I, f- I wonder like if it wasn't beholden to the book or something like there were, there are, would be a way to carve out a really, a potentially really interesting and like character driven journey from this movie. If you had the freedom to like strip away some of those other things, like, I don't know, I yeah. almost would have started the movie like way later uh, and just like, yeah, made it more about that question of like the Senate. And I don't know. Like, yeah, I honestly, I, d- despite really, yes, liking the Robert De Niro portion, mm-hmm. I felt like it all needed to go. I felt like it needed to be part of its own film. Yeah. Right. Why were they connected? Like, why did we have to have that with this film versus right. with the first part or at all? You know, yeah. Like there wasn't really a connection. And, and, mm-hmm. and I also felt like, I mean, then it would only be like a two and a half hour movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would have time to, put in the necessary scenes that, that justify Mm -hmm. a, that justify the hearing, but also remove the, the stuff about, about Fredo. Like it could have been done so much better and (laughs) it was just, I felt like it was done so poorly. Um, I also felt like the, some of the, now while I thought, 
Kay's character was more of a character, I thought this movie was like altogether worse across the board in terms of its like depiction of women. women. No, absolutely. absolutely. I she this movie had even less I feel like less women talking than the other movie. And until that there's that one scene where Kay speaks basically, which is the scene where she's like it was an abortion and I'm taking the kids. Uh but th- like that's the only scene where we get to see anything from her really, you know, and like and that just it, it was a really powerful scene, but also even that scene I feel like it was cut off abruptly because they like had to get to some other plot mm-hmm. thing that they hadn't introduced yet so yeah and like there's you know there's like a, a dead prostitute just used as a like a they, they're trying to like blackmail this right senator. i was just like did they kill they her just, or did just, he kill her like i feel like they just straight up killed this prostitute he was sleeping with so that way they have some blackmail material for right. him you know and like that's just so because um, in the beginning, the very, the movie opens and it's on his son's first communion. He's having this outstandingly lavish party for it, and then uh, the senator from Nevada announces that he's made this that Michael Corleone has made this donation and he loves him and he's super happy and grateful and then they meet in private and he like tries to extort Michael for money because right. he, hates he hates Italians and he doesn't want their greasing up Nevada. Right. Um and so later they like yeah that's so why they, they sort of blackmail him. Uh, yeah, but like a super for no reason aside from again like a, a plot device that is incredibly violent against this unnamed unseen woman, you know. Right. That so so I I mentioned that a lot that I I, I not I mentioned a lot not on this podcast but you and I talked about it, the mm-hmm. the Bechtel cast a lot mm-hmm. and they reference a lot like the use of uh, violence against women as a plot device and like. I've always, sometimes I've, I've struggled to, to understand that. Cause like, what is the difference between like a plot and a plot device? But like, this is very clearly an instance of just like, this has nothing to do with her character at all. It's just a, like, it's just like a random thing. And it, it, that doesn't, that is very unclear in terms of like, it's not even, not that this would justify it, but like it's not even well told in terms of the right. the film itself, like in terms of the film's internal logic. Yeah, and I think like you know that yeah the the other part of it just being that it is a device only for like the male characters' journeys, you know, like so that's yeah right right yes 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 um yeah and I I also even just thinking about in Godfather Part One like or I guess it's just called the Godfather yeah. um like the whole time we at least knew something that we were watching for, which was sort of like watching Michael's journey and like the question of like, will he or won't he accept this family role, tradition yeah. and this role. And in this one, I really didn't know what we were watching for. Like there was no, for Michael as a character, like there didn't seem to be very many clues about like, are we watching to see if he is going to, you know, turn away from this tradition or is there like a different character who is, it's like a, who am I going to be? You know, like there was sort of character wise, like I didn't know what story I was trying to follow. Yeah, no, that is an excellent point. Cause in my head I was thinking about like, so one thing that this movie I think does well is he is depict that like his, that he his descent into uh, 
I don't know how to put it because it's not it's not like madness, but like b- basically his lifestyle has left him with no friends. He he no longer no family. Um, his sister hasn't trusted him since he killed her husband. Fredo has tried to kill him, so he kills him. Kay leaves him. His mother's dead. His father's dead. His children. There's like a distance there, mm-hmm. and then even like Tom. Who was like, why can't, why do I have to tell you about every offer I turned down? Because he like accuses Tom of trying to leave him. And so he basically has like trust no one, has absolutely no one. And so it's this feeling of, to me at least, showing that his lifestyle really has like destroyed him him and isolated him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, However, that to me is like, what the film is about, not what his character is about, like you're saying. So I, I don't, um, what his character is like working towards or searching for. Yeah. So, you know, it, they didn't even really do, uh, to me, when I'm trying to like b- make up something, I'm like, am I trying to make up, I would make up that like it's him trying to m- keep the business legitimate, mm. but you don't really see that. No, and, yeah, and I feel like that's always that's become a cover, like pretty clear. Like he doesn't actually really want to become a right. legitimate business. And everything you're saying, which is true, it's like by the end he is totally alone. And I feel like most of that though is all like that's all really backloaded. Like it's the last like forty five minutes of this long movie where it's like people start really he starts losing people really more clearly. And mm-hmm. so yeah, it's just not something I don't know as far as his character in the beginning, especially like how is that how is he different then in terms of his point of view on like my family will always be here and I'm always surrounded by, you know, like there is no kind of sense of, for, of, of what the journey is supposed to be. So yeah, we're kind of making it, creating it, you know, yeah. as we're watching. And I, and I did, yeah. Cause I also, I also felt that like the, the flashback scene of his dad's birthday where, the, you know, cause at the end of that scene when, after he's announced that he's going to fight and they're calling him stupid and they're telling him that like, you know, you're stupid to go and die for your country. You you know, you should love your family, not your country, blah, blah, blah. They all leave to go meet, you know, they go meet the, the godfather. And Michael's left at the table alone. And it kind of shows, showed to me that, like, even from the beginning, he's always had this, like, isolation from his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's even, like, sitting on one side of the table alone, I think. Yeah. And everyone's on the other side. So, yeah, that's actually true. Mm. I never even mm. noticed that. Um, but. Yeah, but there's still, but yeah, but there's, it's but so don't. much about the plot that like, there's not even a moment of breathing where we get to see what Michael's like feeling or thinking about his position in his family and in the world, you know, yeah, like which in the three hour and 20 minute movie is inexcusable. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, you've got yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've clearly taken it. So what, right. what have you done? Right. Um, I also thought like, how did you, uh, uh well, two, two, uh, female characters. Um, I, I, how did you feel about Robert De Niro's wife? I honestly didn't even I mean, know, know who that, she was, you know, like, right. like I, 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 by the end I was like, Oh, is that his wife? Like I didn't even recognize her face. Cause there was like never even a close up of what she looked like. I and, thought, so. <laughs> and I also, I sat there being like, you know, because there's a a brief moment. There's a, a a a his main plot, at least in the beginning, is confronting this, um, this you know Italian mob boss that's kind of terrorizing these other 
you know, Italian businesses. And he is with a friend. They go to a vaudeville show um, because the friend is in love with one of the performers and he wants to go back and meet her. And then he finds the, the mob boss with the actress and her father. And he's got the actress at gunpoint and not gunpoint, uh, knife, knife point. point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Right, he's and threatening so they, to like cut her face and like right. disfigure her if her dad doesn't give him the money he owes mm. him. Yeah, and then you know Robert De Niro's like, if he's Italian, why is he, why is he messing with other Italians? Um, which kind of starts his journey. Yeah. Um, and you see that he's like the good bad guy. Right, uh, right. He cares about his people and his family. Right. Yeah, not just self interest exclusively. But I couldn't help but and, and, and but but a in that vaudeville moment. It, it part of me was like, oh wait a minute, is this where, you know, does he have this other wife? But then he he falls. I feel like in another movie, the friend would be like, come see this girl I love, and then he and would then, fall in love, and yeah. then they would have a romance or something. Right. But that doesn't happen. No, she's and again just a just a device, and she doesn't even she because it's like a two person vaudeville act. It's her and this guy, and she doesn't even sing a line of song or speak a word on the stage, let alone backstage when we right. see her. You know, again, violence against women as a plot device, like th- yeah. him threatening to cut her face because of something for her dad, and as a tool for now for um, Robert De Niro, De Niro to yeah. not even like try to help her or like talk to her or anyone talk to her afterwards but just so that he gets his own idea about what he should do you know yuppers yep um and then with regard to his wife i noticed when it was him and like his friend when they decide to um not the same friend a a different guy um they decide they're gonna like start pulling different jobs Mm -hmm. the you know his wife is like in the kitchen making food for them but i'm sitting there being like i mean her he they're starting they're talking about like organized crime they're talking about challenging this guy who could want to kill them and she just like i i she even get like consulted like i'm gonna make you a widow i'm gonna definitely not yeah i I was just like, well, she's just uh, right. listening. And I think it's re- it's kind of what's referenced, um, but again, not made a point enough of in the scene with Kay and Michael where she's like, I'm going to leave and I'm going to take the kids. And Michael basically says some line about like, you don't understand. Like there's this thing that has happened between men and women for 2000 years. Yeah. Right. And it's like, essentially what he's saying is like, that's not how the power works and that's not right. how decisions get made. It's like the man makes the decision and mm-hmm. that's, and your job is to follow the rules, you know, and she, and she's like, yeah. no, that's not what I'm here to do. And so I feel like that's, you know, kind of referenced in the fact that like the wife is sort of in the background, you know, not consulted because that's not the agreement between men and women in this sort of traditional patriarchal society. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, this is not like a, uh, yeah, you know, no, um, the, in that moment, yeah, because he's like, there's things have been going on, um, with, there's ways that men and women do things. The fact that she countered saying, I felt like it was cool that she said the thing mm. that we kind of have thought about for uh, the past movie and this one where she's like, you know, not with this Sicilian thing that's been going on for 2,000 years. And I'm like, yes, finally, mm-hmm. you know, it's been said. You, you can't just keep killing each other. If everyone just, if I kill you, then then 
you know, your kids have to kill me, so then my kids have to kill your kids. And then it, right, and then everyone's dead. And then yeah. everyone's dead. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, yes, I love that the m- m- movie said it that she mm-hmm, said it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the other que- the other family that I was like, the fuck. Tom is referenced to have a family. Yeah. Then there's actually a scene where she's allegedly there, in the. In the, oh, in the dinner scene, In the right? dinner scene, yeah. Sonny goes, this is Teresa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is like, I Tom's think it's like Tom's girl, lady. Teresa, yeah. or something like that. She's never even in That's frame. So true. She's not in the shot. I was like, <laughs> where is what? she? What? <laughs> like, and I was wondering because at some point they mentioned, Michael's like, you take your wife and your family and mm-hmm. your mistress over to wherever. And so I was like, yeah, is Teresa, is she the wife? Is she the mistress? I think it was so many she? years ago that it was probably yeah. the wife, but like either but way, we don't know any, we don't get no to see her. No clue. God, I know. I I'm like why why I'm like why even why mention her? Bother yeah. to give him a wife at all? Why not just make him a bachelor? Right. Like, yeah, that is. Is it just more believable that he would have a wife <laughs> whom we never see? Mm-hmm. Like then right. he would be single, and we also wouldn't ever see. The, I mean, that's crazy. Um, how did you feel about the way that she talks about the abortion? Um, well, she, I mean, yeah, she talks about it as like, she says it's an unholy evil thing. Right. Like being married to you. Mm-hmm. Or basically it's like the, because right, our marriage is an abortion, <clears throat> unholy right. and evil. evil. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like I, it, to, to separate what she, her emotional, her emotions around like him and having his child and sort of like bringing a child into that his world versus like her stance on abortion. Like we don't, you know, I don't know that we know her stance on abortion. Like, um, uh, and so like mostly I just sort of interpreted that as like her, I mean, she does basically say that abortion is unholy and evil, you know? So that, but at the same time she had an abortion, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, that it's more about, for me, it was more about like, yeah, bringing a life into this cycle that you will, it will become if it's a it was a boy he's going to be killed then because that's who you are you know mm-hmm. that is unholy and evil yeah because yeah. yeah when she when at first she you know is revealed that she has it i'm like yes because it's also coming out in the 70s so it's, this is like um not the dawn necessarily of of second wave feminism but like it's definitely that era yeah and so I think it's definitely kind of keying into that conversation, even though the book was written mm-hmm. many years before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was like, Ooh, thumbs up. And then she's like, <laughs> like our marriage, unholy and evil. And I'm like, Oh, thumb this, thumb, <laughs> this thumb no longer knows which direction yeah. to point. Well, it's interesting because, you know, since it is set in the late fifties, um, I, yeah, just like curiosity to know like what, um, how right like her stance her stance on abortion as a woman in the 50s who like does not want to have her child like is actually really interesting and like was the film just making it seem like she you know she thinks that abortion is bad but it was like a necessary evil Mm -hmm. yeah also pre roe v wade Mm -hmm. do you have any idea what the safety of that the safety level of that abortion i mean like with the risk like in the 50s especially yeah i mean because that's the other thing that i'm like that this you know it portrays 
that 73 so this movie came out just after mm. Joe Wade but sorry mm-hmm. no well I mean yeah. but that is like yeah I, I I think in terms of um I think I mean one always has to look at like you know regardless of when a movie is set the year it comes yeah, out yeah. Is the year it comes out yeah, and yeah. like um but then in terms of when it was set like the it's just another negation of the lives of all women in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we don't see her like a have to choose that. Like it's better for her to not have her child than to have his. And then also be like, hmm, is this a safe way that like will cause me to not die? Mm-hmm. Cause also she has to assume, presumably do it in a way in which he won't like immediately find out also mm-hmm. yeah well and he's been like out of he was in cuba right. but yeah no i would be i so i recently not to talk about a different movie but i recently rewatched dirty dancing mm. uh, and yeah. i love that movie uh but and like just thinking like that yeah we actually get to see like what happens you know and like what it's like to go to somebody who says that yes i will perform a safe abortion and mm-hmm. like but you know you, yeah, when I mean, you don't, when you are not protected by the law and doing that, then like all bets are off, you know, and like it's can be really unsafe and really terrifying and you know dangerous. Right, which is like which we don't see in this movie. Nope, and I mean that is what people are saying they would prefer if they, yeah. We roll our. We, Let's move yeah, on. <laughs> um, I, yeah. The only other <clears throat> thing, I guess. Um, well, I guess uh, I had two things about like this Senator, he makes this like pro Italian declaration at the Senate hearing, but, and I felt like in terms of the time, this is also shortly after, um, like the real mob crackdown that like really did occur. So there is to me like a sense that there is a need to say like contemporarily that Italians aren't all criminals, but it's kind of being done by a guy that we know is owned by a criminal. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, does that, I don't know, count or is it even worth like talking about? Right. No, I feel like that was just like the final beat in his, in the Senator's like corruption, you know, of like, yeah, they have successfully blackmailed me and I am supporting them in a way that also shows that I really actually hate them, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, the, the like last thing I was thinking about, which is sort of a broad thing is the idea of just thinking about like the, the presentation of masculinity and like whether or not in this film compared to the Godfather, like what is the point of view on like the violence and like the masculinity and everything. And like, especially, you know, the very toxic masculinity that we see. Mm. And I felt like in this one more than in the Godfather, like there was it, it, there was less of a um less of a like judgment of the violence almost M- maybe maybe just because like michael yes he ends up alone and isolated but like by the end i feel like michael who has perpetrated all these really horrible things ending with killing his a second brother you know um like he's alone but like there's something even just in the final like shot where we are totally on him like th- the way the godfather ended like the door closed and we like saw Kay see what was happening you know and like that allowed for this like lens through which to view his transformation and I feel like Mm. here it's sort of like we end the film with just him alone 
on this bench basically. Uh, and like, there's something about that frame that I feel like we're, he's meant to be more of an anti-hero that like we are maybe repelled, repulsed by, but like is sort of like the only, uh, mm. so you find him more vindicated by this movie than the Godfather? A little, because I don't know. I feel like the, his like tormentedness maybe is meant to like bring some empathy. I'm not sure, you know, like mm. his like, Oh, but I am alone. And like, I am struggling with this, uh, that like he, we are meant maybe meant to like feel for him more. I don't know. I don't know. I personally, I found, and maybe this goes back to the two things we've talked about that he did not have a clear journey and that the mm -hmm. timeline is just confusing um, and unclear. I, I found that his journey in the Godfather to me was more of him being like a, like a good guy in a bad family, mm. you know, that like somebody who was trying, but like had to do the things he, he had to do. I found this movie to be much more about like his uh, descent, much, much more about, I don't know. I, mm. I'm, I'm not saying that, I guess I'm just saying I, I didn't see it that way. Sure. Yeah. No, yeah. and I'm still not really sure. It's just something I've been thinking about. Yeah. But also, yeah, no, it definitely felt kind of just less connected to, his internal struggle and that we didn't really see him, his internal struggle, like his decision to use his, the guy's brother as like a way to, so the Pantangeli guy who he, who Michael is framed for trying to have killed. Um, he lives and the FBI has him in hiding and he's going to be used to catch Michael Corleone in this Senate hearing. And so they try to figure out how they're going to, get him not to talk. And so they bring his brother in from Sicily. And so Michael sits next to him the whole time. And the guy knows, okay, well, if I talk, they're going to kill my family. Um, that I, you don't see him kind of like struggle with that. It's nice. just like, like kind of part of the game. So I almost feel like we see him have no problem with the actions that he's committing, but everyone around him is just like leaving one by one, either mm -hmm. by choice or by death. Mm -hmm. Um, even with the, the scene between Tom and Pantangeli, he has a moment where he's like, you know, what do I do now? Which was this, because you, like you said, it's really, that scene was vague and, um, and euphemistic, the way that they're using these old Romans as a metaphor for the fact that he's going to need to kill himself. This, what do I do now, is sort of the first part of that. And it sort of framed to me like there is no there is there is nothing else. Like if you have chosen this life, there is no way out. There is nothing else for you. And the only thing that is going to free you from it is your death. Mm. Um, that's how I felt. I, I, sure. I, yeah. And it could also be the fact that like I found the movie just more boring mm, that I so didn't boring. find myself connecting to him and therefore more able to just sort of view him for yeah. his actions as opposed to in the Godfather one where I found myself empathizing with him a lot and therefore thinking he was cool. Mm -hmm. 
It is. It's a thing. You think they're cool? Like, yeah, be, of course. Yeah. yeah, of course. That's the yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a reason like The Godfather is like. I know. Fucking. fucking the Godfather. The film. You know, fucking The Godfather. Um, you've been fucking The Godfather. <laughs> uh, but then, uh, yeah, I don't really feel the need to talk about yeah. the last thing, which was that like, because we kind of talked about it in a, min- a million other films. I'm sure it'll come up. This like, this cross between it must be sort of a, a semblance of the time, but like people who exempt it, it like who go through lots of like religious ritual and sort of, I guess, pay lip service to being religious, but then sort of live their lives in a way that is definitively counter to that. Mm. You know, there's so much Catholic ceremony that we see with Michael, even with the Finucci, the mob boss that Robert De Niro kills, see him participating in all this Catholic ceremony. Um, and, and I, I think it, it's much more of a contemporary thing to, to use that as, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it. Um, to actually use it in any way of like, uh, of, um, characterization in terms of using it in a way that's at all critical. I feel like a lot of older movies, it's just like, I guess because in general, it was just assumed that you would be part of church life in some way, just like maybe with Hagen's character, it was assumed that you would have a family, that I'm like, maybe people didn't question it, and now it would be used as a way of like framing this person as a hypocrite or framing him in a particular way. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just, if you have, do you have anything to or do you feel like it's just along with like Patton and mm-hmm. Godfather one? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, because we don't really get, um, much of a character interior life in this, like, I feel like it, it is probably actually maybe meant to be more hypocritical, like just to, to highlight the hypocrisy. Mm. I feel like because the point of view of this and the Godfather does seem to be like against these violent criminals Mm -hmm. so like highlighting the hypocrisy of that makes sense um as far as like part of the intention you know but um but yeah but we just don't really get very much to know yeah 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 all right should we blaze the saddles blaze on to the saddles where do we begin gina where do we begin so i this i was thinking so much about the question yeah like should we keep it and like what would happen if this movie came out came out now and like and so i like ended up going into lots of like what well i'm just wondering if you read the things that i read about Maybe. in terms of whether or not it would be made now and what, what i mean Mel i read Brick's a whole bunch i went to like uh, some reddit threads which i honestly had never even been on reddit before i really don't know um, and like I, interviews and various articles and essentially like the main thing that i took away from all of those was which was like a reason why I was very like um another reason why I'm like yeah we should get rid of this is the that like the the sentiment I felt the most from reading a lot of those things and granted because like I didn't find a lot of like published whatever you know like a lot of it was like opinion of just like people on the internet um but there were plenty of those opinions was like this sort of annoyance at the political correctness of contemporary society and like the fact that like it couldn't get made today because people are so PC that like no one would be cool with like doing this film today. And so like that was like, okay guys, like that's not, you're probably just 
uh, an asshole and maybe a racist and yeah. like upset at the fact that like you can't say the n-word in a movie today because right. people will be offended you know? and he like himself was like mel brooks he, or? mel brooks mel mm-hmm. brooks yeah sorry mm-hmm. he like had a, a statement in this one thing that i was reading by entertainment weekly it was like um you know he said people are too pc and like you know comedy takes risks and comedy is the lecherous little elf that whispers in the king's ear always telling the truth about human behavior but then he was like yeah i would never joke about like the death of children or jews at the hands of the nazis and it's like okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like we are a acknowledging that like there is a line but also it's like how how can you be so obtuse to not acknowledge that like you, you're Jewish. So this is, that is a, a terror that you relate to. How could you not be like, Oh, there are other terrors mm-hmm. that someone is going to relate to as viscerally as I relate to that. Yeah. You know? And, and I, it, yeah. I, I found, um, Paul F. Tompkins made me really happy because a lot of times like comedy people, they're like, you know, they can be like, ooh, yeah, it's tough. It's a shame. Uh, as a comedian, generally, I'm pro-free speech. And that's like the the most critical that a lot of comedians are going to get. And then other comedians are like, uh, yeah, PC culture, it's a shame. You know, just people, public outrage, it's a terrible time, blah, blah, blah. But like Paul F. Tompkins, who is a very funny comedian, was like, you know, oh, by the little... Uh, little elf whispering the king's ear could Mel mean the court jester because he's the one that was supposed to make fun of the king (laughs) hello not just tell the king how stupid the other humans are Mm -hmm. and like then he was just talking about like you know comedy you know giving like there's edgy satire out there that's that's out there to take on the powerful it shouldn't just like comedy being used as like satire to criticize the the oppressed or people without power is is like an irresponsible use of satire um yeah no i he was also like um yeah more people this is a direct quote uh, from him he's like more people have voices now than they did before that's good sometimes they're gonna critique comedy that's good uh and then kamel nanjiani was like in terms of talking about political correctness correctness he was just like like that's just a a vague term that means different things to different people and it's useless which i agree with entirely but also it's like the way that someone phrased it to me was like when's the last time somebody was politically correct and it hurt somebody and then when's the like it actually like held people back socially and then mm-hmm. they're like okay and which when's the last time somebody wasn't politically correct and it hurt somebody, and it hurt somebody. <laughs> like yeah. that is just a no brainer. Right. Yeah. And even though, you know, a lot of the movie, like the white people and the racists, like are the butt of the joke, Mm -hmm. you know, like they are meant to look really foolish. Uh, Regardless, like there is so much, there's still like so much uh, screen time given to like the comedy of 
inept racists, you know, and like, right. and, and I was, yeah, I was, I was, on, I was like, I wonder what Spike Lee thinks about this movie. And I'm sure he said something. And I found a quote where he basically was like, he was like, I haven't actually seen it. Uh, I don't want to see it, right. but if it's set in the old West and people use the N word and the reaction to people using the N word is supposed to be them laughing, mm-hmm. then I, I'm, I'm retro yeah. banning this movie, you know? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that's because, uh, Right, like the the we the, even though the people who are racist are like made to look foolish, we are still meant to be laughing at their language too, you know, and like yeah. and and like that's really a damaging thing to be. Uh, yeah, and we don't we don't see ourselves unlike so in All in the Family we talked about like those kind of views like when you're laughing at them, you have to acknowledge that like if you agree with him then you are part of the problem. Like everyone else is clearly right. Mm-hmm. And Archie Bunker is clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's where the comedy is that like this movie doesn't feel that way. Like it's very easy to like, like a racist could watch this movie and laugh at it mm-hmm. and have no like internal struggle with how this movie was depicting racism. Totally. Yeah. And I also felt like they, so like the character of Bart, um, in order, like I felt like I felt a, I was wondering if it was like a fear to give him any like real personality or backstory. Mm -hmm. Um, he seemed like the most bland character in the film, you know, and like sometimes he had funny lines, but most of the time he didn't. And it made me really wonder like, were you afraid to give him any sort of backstory because like whatever backstory you gave him like could be interpreted as like, you know, in some way, like, uh, like, so he, I mean, just the, the reality of like his character, basically he arrives, we don't know how he feels about being given this assignment to become the sheriff of an all white town. Mm-hmm. He, I have a thought on that. Yeah. Uh, well, just and like the fact like he is a product of his time and like he even, the one thing of backstory we know is that like he and his family, like, had a wagon and tra- went west and like weren't allowed to be with the the like white people in their wagons and so obviously like he knows about racism and he knows yeah. that like he's yeah, not yeah. going to be immediately accepted by a town full of white people where he's supposed to be the one in charge over them and like he seems surprised like a lot of his plot is like why don't they like me and right like, he has the line you know, of like when you uh you show somebody who they are they've got to respect you or something right. like that um, um yeah and and like he just seems like like they didn't want to make any statement about him having a personality, you know? Right. Um, and I would, so I'd say the, the thought that I had on it that I mentioned was like, you know, you've, you've read, you've read, uh, Oh, here we go. Pretentious time. You've read save the cat. Yeah. Or like, have you read screen screenplay by Sidfield? I've never read that one. No. Screenplay. Screenplay. You ever read screenplay by Sidfield? Um, no, uh, like one of the definitive features of like a good film or like a protagonist is that they make the decision of course that it like like that shifts act one mm-hmm. into act two yeah well what makes- shifts act one into act two him going to the town like right. him that, being assigned given right. the choice so given, he doesn't make the, the choice so yeah. argue that like he's not a real protagonist everything in the film just happens to him and he doesn't, we don't actually see him choosing to do anything. We see the scene of him getting out of the scene where everyone's got their guns pointed at him. 
but I mean, we also, we just, we see him kind of like having a, a sunny response to the fact that like the second he goes to the town, every single citizen points right. a gun at him. Right. And the next, and so his response is tomorrow, I'm just going to go do good. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's like, why is it that you were afraid to show fear or was it like a situation in which you've just so happily overlooked the idea and carelessly overlooked the idea, the reality of the dangers that he would face and be a hundred percent aware of just like in, when we're talking about in the sting, when Robert, when Robert Redford's like, um, talking to James Earl Jones's dad. Um, and he's like, hey, let me get the cops. And he's like, no cops. And he's like, Hey, are you dirty? It's like, this has, this is made in like complete ignorance of what police culture would have been at the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, I feel like this is just Mel Brooks and his team's just happy ignorance mm -hmm. about oh, the racial realities of the West. Right. And I wonder if like, yeah, if, if they had shown like his genuine response to the situation and like treating it seriously, then like, like if that was just like never consideration because they were like, well then we couldn't get to like the comedy, you know, or like we, then we yeah. couldn't be able to like laugh at the town people, you know? And so it's yeah. like, but like that is such an essential piece that is missing from like this movie that like, that's maybe it shouldn't have happened then, you know? Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, to me, if you're not going to do this movie from like a point of social commentary, right. Then what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Like yeah. what the hell? And clearly uh, with what happens in it, I, somehow you're like, how can this film get any worse? And then they go on to that Hollywood set. And that was like, I thought that was funny. You thought that oh, well, was funny. I thought like the breaking the fourth, like breaking the fourth wall was funny, but like the day. scene that they sure. break into no, yeah, yeah. and the way that no, is treated is awful. We will get there. Um, I mean, I also like, there are just moments where, um, you know, they're going to give the, Native Americans, um, like paddle balls, uh, in exchange for the the land land that they're stealing from them, yeah. and then you know he's then you know Mel Brooks is like, oh, little red devils, they love toys, and you know, but then he immediately like jumps after him, wanting to play with the paddle ball. So mm -hmm. you're like, okay, well, I could see that, like, if it were made with any kind of consciousness, I could see it as being a thing where it's like, okay, this white person this colonizer is like oh we're so much better than them mm -hmm. they're just attracted to sparkly stuff Ooh, shiny like mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it showing his sort of like ineptitude but it doesn't have any depth right and again it's like yes showing his ineptitude but also like yeah the the like joke of uh, but we hate those people you know which is right. just like not a yeah. yeah and this is like you know the seventies where we, you know, this is like around the time some of the protections for the native Americans started to be put in place. Like, um, I, I forget the, the name of the act, but it's basically one that, that at this time, like, I think roughly a third of native American children were just like being abducted. God. and and given for adoption into like white families to like um is it called 
I don't want to say it wrong, but is miscegenation the word? For like uh, non... Like literally just trying to like break up Native American families oh. and like... No, miscegenation is like an uh, interracial couple, isn't that? Then yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. deliberately, so that because that's what it'd be, like white and Native American, like to like... Uh, to like sort of force it to happen so that like it dilutes the Native American bloodline oh, and become no. white basically. Um, and then, and also just like destroying the Native American family and the Native American community. Um, there was a Supreme Court case a couple of years ago um, that made people be like, oh, how can this ruling be possible? And then you look into it and you're like, it's about a man who like gave up his paternity rights and then a couple adopted the, this baby and then he was like, actually, I'm claiming that baby back and they give the baby back to him and you're like, that shouldn't be right. And then you look into it and you're like, oh, actually, holy shit, like he should have gotten that baby back. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, this is just the beginning. And, you know, you have um, banning different kinds of, of trapping that Native Americans use to catch fish. That's just like made, there's no reason that those practices should be made illegal with the exception of racism. Um, uh, Which is when, what are you talking, when are you, what? Um, is, you're talking about like the, f- I'm just talking about like the seventies. Like that was the, like in terms of oh, progressive started, legislation towards oh, okay. Native Americans that to like, like help them. It's like things. just okay. happening. Um, yeah. So like having these, this movie like lampooning Native Americans or like like Mel Brooks popping up later in red face yeah. speaking Yiddish instead of, you know, Sue, um, whichever it's a vague, non-specific Native American tribe. And he's not speaking any Native American language. Mm-hmm. It's Yiddish. I'm like, and that's he's literally in red face. So, and, you know, yeah. there's the let's just stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then there's also like the, um, uh, the women of course, which is mm-hmm. like another joke. So there, cause there's the like secretary of the governor who's just like, you know, she's a sex kitten quite literally. She's wearing like no clothes and she talks like, mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Governor. He got this important telegram, you know, like, yeah, the, like she's like thing. in like red burlesque lingerie right, where sitting with, in the like, office. Boa, yeah. Uh, and there's, you know, all the jokes of like the dudes, like, thinking she's hot and like trying to grab her boobs and like, Mm -hmm. let's go have sex and everything. And then there's, and then there's, uh, yeah. Von Stoop, the like burlesque performer who has a very funny song about like, I'm so tired (laughs) tired. of sex. Basically. She's like, everything's dead from the waist down. (laughs) I've slept with thousands of men. And then she's Uh, also like falling asleep. It is is really, really funny. It's a funny song and it's really great. But then like the, the like kicker, you know, is like, she was told like in a classic Western, you know, it's like seduce him. So that way, you know, then you can like, break his heart mm-hmm. and he'll like be sad but then like so to to bart like she's supposed yeah. to seduce bart and then they sleep together and she's like oh my god he's got the biggest <laughs> you know and like oh my god oh, it's are you true. kidding me right it's, it's true. true it's true you're like fuck uh, and then she's like in love with him mm. and there's that stereotype yep. as well you and know? you want to know um something <laughs> fun when she went to audition mel brooks was like instead of just being up front and open he was like okay now i need to see your legs and then she like she said to him like oh so it's that kind of audition huh and then he explained what like why they would the character would need like particular legs or legs on display and it's like 
kind of bullshit is that? If like how Let how would you legs. ever feel comfortable? How, like it's it's so f- obvious. I mean, it's not it's not crazy. It's not unsurprising that like that was the that that there was a culture in which someone could think that they wouldn't need to explain why the hell they were asking somebody to do that. But like, but when you're like, supposedly like the film is like a satire also on like, this is the type of role women have in this society. It's like, but then you're going to like audition and just be like, all right, lady, let me strip for me. You know, like that's such a hypocritical thing. Right. Or it's just, it's just clear. It's like, okay, well, you know, regardless of, it's like, are you making a statement or are you sort of just like reflecting tropes? Like, are mm-hmm. you making a joke about the tropes and not actually commenting on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. them being potentially negative? It's right. just like, right. God, fucking waste. Um, there were also like a lot of the humor was very like eye rolly, but there were some great jokes that I found very funny. The toll booth thing I loved. Oh, yeah. Where they <laughs> wanted is, to like slow them down. Yeah, but... right. They're like, oh, the game, like the criminals are going to be here too soon. We have to find a way to slow them down. And so they're like, I've got an idea. And they just like built a toll booth in right. the middle of the nowhere. And so like they like, whoa, and they, their horses and they're like, oh, 10 cents. Anybody have a dime? And right. then like and this to, line like, of criminals. Exact change only. Yeah. yeah it's and so it's, stupid. It's, that was funny. But yeah. a lot of the humor too, I was just like, Ugh, like this isn't even very funny humor a lot of right. the time, you know. I mean, I did think Some like, what did you think about his first scene when he enters the town with the gun when he holds himself at gunpoint? Yeah, that was funny. That. Like, because yeah, he like pretends that he's Bart pretends he's being held hostage by himself, you know, and so he's like puts his fingers to his throat like it's a gun. Right. He's like he's gonna shoot, and then yeah, yeah, he carries himself right. out of like, <laughs> right. it, and they're like, isn't he, someone gonna he's help? Like, him? Oh my god, <laughs> he's just crazy enough, he'll do it. Right? Yeah. Right. It, it, it's yeah. absurd, but yeah, it is funny. Um, but then there's like everybody eating beans and everyone's just, and like, just like farting, farting a whole bunch for like a minute. And I'm like, it's funny because, the yeah, they eat a lot of beans in the Wild West. I guess they would be farting, uh, but it's like, this is not that funny. Um, and then also just so much um, uncritical jokes about rape. Oh my god! Like, so many throwaway rape jokes. It's like, what are we gonna do? We're gonna so rape shocking. the shit out of them. And I know. Or it's like uh, a rape, murder, burglary, rape. You said rape twice. Well, I like rape. I know. You're like, and it's really, I cannot believe that. Like it used to be, like a, a just a something like such a throwaway right. joke. Like a, th- and it's like so startling today. I know? mean, think of it like this: marital rape wasn't even didn't exist for like another 20 years. Mm, yep. Yep. <laughs> like that's crazy. Yeah. What? I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> just I'm just sad. About, yeah, okay. I'm just annoyed. No, I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, moved and then also my other thought, uh, in terms of mental health, um, Mongo, mm. <laughs> like that, was in like he's the he's this like brute big yeah. oaf brute who's chained up like a dog that he then like sicks on the town right and then he's chained up in the jail and he yeah it, it's just like he's just he's just supposed to be uh just this mentally handicapped guy who's just violent there's no 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 regard for it at all in which this is like a time in which people could still like institutionalize people i mean like 
Midnight Cowboy only a few years ago. And mm-hmm. that's what happened to Annie. Like in the book, she wasn't even like, like she wasn't even like really mentally ill. Like she was depicted in the, in the film. Uh, it was done as a way of like punishing her. Like this was not far from that time. Um, you remember that I was talking about that? No, we no, talked I, about it in the book. We no, about whether it. or not it was a punishment. Anyways, oh, because we, by her dad, like that. the guy told on oh, you her mean in the book, in the, book, the oh, guy okay, told okay. on her and then her dad went in okay. the, in the, in the movie, it's framed as like a result of yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. the violence. Um, but yeah, it's just like a un self-critical depiction of a mentally ill, mentally handicapped person being chained up like an old dog. Yep. Fun times. God damn it. Um, fuck. So yeah. then we should, you have, um, Oh, the only thing is, is we yeah. haven't explained what happens at the end when they break onto the lot. And it's just like, so it's a bunch of guys that dressed up in tuxedos and they're singing this song that's like vaguely sexual about like mm-hmm. doing the French mistake. Um, and it's kind of like a, like a dance song and they bust in and like the director just stops them and he's like, you know, he's like a very effeminate director and he's calling them, you know, sister Mary's and F words. And, Mm -hmm. and then when everybody busts in and the other, like, um, like all the people from blazing saddles bust in, then they're all like, they're all like, get them girls. And it's just a room. Mm -hmm. It's just a big gay the joke is that these men are gay like that's the joke that they're gay and Mm -hmm. that's it yeah yeah i mean this i was surprised i in just watching friends recently i was like oh my god it's crazy how even how recently like and that like being gay is just like the punchline of jokes you know and like so it's talking about you were watching that episode really not like listens to the the tape the, this is, I don't remember to be totally honest. It was a little while ago, okay. but probably, probably that one. The, the hypnosis tape is like, Oh yeah, 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 sure. Sure. That's one where it's like the, but even just like several throwaway jokes oh, throughout, yeah. but, but just yeah, in that general. one in, right. That I mean, like story plot for sure. So, so yes, like very blatantly making just a joke about like gay men being effeminate and like whatever, isn't you know, isn't it funny? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm exhausted. So by yeah. This. All right. Two well, movies we're getting rid of. Yeah. Or, well, shall we? Shall, shall we? we? Let's yeah, just do it. Let's just, let's just do it because we've set up a format. We got to like stick to Follow. our format. Otherwise, people are going to be like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. What do right. I expect? What's Holy happening? hell. How do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Done. Now we're getting rid yeah, of it. Yeah. Bye. No, bye. Kill him. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. All Not right. Sorry. Hold, okay. okay. Maybe next year we'll get to keep something. Ugh, let's hope. Next. Yeah. Next. So next year we're moving to 1975. Mm-hmm. And the it's going to be an interesting one. The top yeah, grossing film is one that I I don't know. I, I believe, haven't really heard of it. Yeah. Maybe you've heard it's of it. Jo- uh, Jaws. Yeah. Jaws. 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 I like that. That's become a running. You've joke. seen Jaws. I realize that I actually have seen Jaws. Oh really? <laughs> I just I watched it over Christmas two years ago for the first time. Anyways, okay. still I'm watch it again. Borderline inexcusable. Doesn't really. You were, I know. I know. Yeah. Um, and then the best picture winner is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's, the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. So that'll be exciting. I have never uh, seen that nor, nor read I. that book. Nor have I. Yeah. So yeah. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see a, a young, skinny Jack Nicholson. Uh, he freaks me out. Um, yeah. Weird dude. Great. I'm excited. Well, we'll, we'll be doing yeah. that next time. Gino. Where can they find you? Uh, I am on Instagram, Gina underscore with a G. Woo! 
the wit hag, baby. The wit hag emerges. Yo. And what about you, Stephen? I'm just, I'm, I'm chill. Okay. I'm Stephen. Mo- what? I'm chill. Okay. I'm Stephen Moskis. Anywhere. Anywhere things are sold, you know, <laughs> uh, Stephen Moskis is where you find me. Great. Um, and yeah, we're a Rock Rising Productions podcast. Um, but yeah, make sure to follow Rock Rising on Instagram and listen to all their other podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you want like a cool quote or anything? Um, I was thinking about how, uh, sorry, I just... Oranges and Al Pacino eats the oranges. He ate like an oh apple. God. He ate the oh orange. Gosh. Sorry, wow. but he like an ate apple. that orange like an apple. The peel was I know, on it. Was so gross. The, how did that not come up earlier? The peel was on the orange. And and with that, we'll goodbye. see you later. <laughs> it was such a reaction. It's yeah. It was. I can't imagine. <laughs> he would like implode. Uh. <laughs> right? Like what? The yeah, fuck? I mean, like, his, <laughs> I mean, the majority of this whole episode has been me being like, this is too much to be like bantery about. <laughs> I know. And it's just like slow and belabored, and then we get to the orange, and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough. I turned it off right there. Everything else I can handle, but I turned it off at that moment. Oh my god, that was awful. So funny. But, and I noticed how many oranges there were because I was thinking about your comment about oranges. And I was one. like, I don't believe it. They are like a harbinger of, of fucking death. It's wow. bullshit. Like, they just to, sure. to no, fuck it. <laughs> This has been a Rock Rising Productions podcast. Thanks for listening.